Hello and welcome to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy, and for those of you who've been listening to or even subscribing to this podcast, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Since October of 2018, when this show started, it's been an absolutely joyous experience. The stories I've been entrusted with have been amazing. I've learned so much about friends that I've known as far back as grade school. And the fun I've had with these conversations inspired me to reach out to people outside of my personal circles, including this week's guest, uh, Tyler Foley, who has just so many great stories to tell. You are going to really, really enjoy this episode. Um, but, uh, But getting back to what I was saying, the conversations that I have had here that I never even thought possible um, have gotten me extensive one-on-one time with heroes from as far back as childhood. And apparently these episodes connected with some of you because over 130 episodes later, episode one is still getting the occasional listen. So I've decided to make the most of what's been built with the Excelsior Journeys podcast. It's been said that the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. And so, starting this Friday, April 1st, 2022, we're going to look back at how far we've come with a new show entitled Excelsior Journeys, The First Steps. Starting with episode one, my conversation with West Coast Swing dancer, instructor, and event director, Doug Rozier. Each conversation is going to be relaunched with a new intro and a few words from me about what you're about to hear before going into the episode. And even permitting, we'll get a little bit of where are they now from regarding the guest. Uh, This will be on the same feed as this podcast, so there'll be no need to subscribe to a separate show. And for those who want to take advantage of the sponsorship packages that I'm preparing, you'll have your business noted on two shows each week, Tuesdays and Fridays. So please keep an eye out for that. This is only the beginning of what I have planned for Excelsior Journey, so please keep an eye and an ear out for more news in the future. Again, for those of you who have been on this path with me from the very beginning, I can't say enough how much your support is appreciated, and I hope you'll enjoy this look back at the previous seasons as much as I will. Thank you so much. I love all of you. Let's get on with this week's show. JLD, do the honors. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire, and you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's you, why I moment? taught myself how to draw, was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than so die. He jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater with him saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm sex. rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, yeah. throw some spaghetti yeah. against a wall. See this if it is sticks. George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys, part of the Rising Tide Broadcast Network. This is George Soroy, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in for over 130 episodes. Now, when this show was conceived way back in 2018, I knew what I wanted to do with it, but I didn't know what to call it. And it was only when my friend David Allen Lucas looked at the subtitle for my book, Excelsior, Part One in the Excelsior Journey, and he said, how about the Excelsior Journey? I said, that sounded great, but I wanted to change it to Excelsior Journeys since everyone that I would be interviewing has their own journey to tell. And as the show evolved, it turned out the majority of my guests would have more than one Excelsior Journey to share. And that continues on with my guest this week. Tyler Foley's journey in life has led him to be a stuntman in television and films, a safety professional, an actor, an engineer, a public speaker, and 
a number one best-selling author. And normally a show would welcome with open arms a guest with just one of those credentials. So it is so exciting to have all of them here at once, especially since Tyler's journeys, uh, they the topics that he talks about as a speaker include creating your signature story, attracting your dream clients, living a life without restrictions, and conquering stage fright. And quite a few of those I can definitely relate with. And that's a lot of Excelsior journeys to cover in just one episode. So it's my pleasure to introduce to you, Tyler Foley. Tyler, how are you, sir? Oh, I'm doing really well, especially after an intro like that. I'll tell you, if I didn't have an ego walking into the room before, I certainly do now. <laughs> a lot of my guests are happy with the way that I in- introduce them. So apparently I-, I used to be a PR person in my former life. Well, so, um, kudos to you. Yes. No, oh. thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. So normally on the show, we talk about the latest thing that someone is is introducing or presenting or just released or is launching or whatever. You got a lot going on here. And just in the next several months alone, we're going to be seeing a lot of Tyler on a lot of different stages. Can you tell us a little bit about what you got going on there, sir? Well, yeah. So you'd mentioned the the book. So I had originally self-published my book back in 2019 and it mm-hmm. got picked up by a traditional publisher. So that launch happened this past September. And so there's still a big push going forward with promoting the book. So that nice. feels recent because I'm always talking about it. Mm-hmm. Because of the book, I have the opportunity to speak on a stage in Dallas on May 20th with the Power Within group. Uh, which is super awesome. So Tony Robbins will be headlining that and I'll have uh, 25 minutes to be on the stage and promote the book and promote my training. Those are some real valuable 25 minutes right there. That's awesome. That is awesome. I love it. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. And then from that, I'll be promoting the, I have a three-day live training event that I'll be doing around public speaking in Las Vegas in October. So that's going to be really, really fun too. And then Mm -hmm. I just, just wrapped uh, a week ago today, a very small bit part role with Shannon Elizabeth in a Hallmark movie that no kidding. So that was, that was a really fun thing to do to just kind of show up because she's kind of like, I've actually worked with her three times in my career, but this is the first time that I've actually gotten to interact with her on camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I did a lot of uh, photo double and stand in and stunt work on scary movie. Oh, nice. And then I was doing stand in work on 13 ghosts. Mm-hmm. And so she was in both of those, but I, so right. I, I got to be around in, in the industry with her, but this was the first time where I actually had got to interact with her and have lines and be like on camera with her. So that was, that was a fun little thing 20 years later. Wow. Uh, to be able to be like, hey, <laughs> I don't know if you remember. And she didn't. <laughs> no. <laughs> <But. laughs> and, and she's real. And she's a very busy activist as well, isn't she? Yeah. She has animal rescue, I believe, based out of South Africa. Yeah. yeah. And, and on top of that, she's an incredibly accomplished poker player. So no kidding. Um, yeah. She, she's been on the World Poker Series a few times. She's, she's a really, really good poker player and uh, yeah so yeah that she's not not one-dimensional in any way i'll give her that that's great kudos kudos to shannon kudos to shannon and the and i also noticed in your in your bios you were talking about being working on scary movie working on 13 ghosts you also worked on freddy versus jason yes now tell us yeah. a little bit about that that little experience there that yeah, was, so uh, I, it the freddy versus jason is the gift that keeps on giving yeah 
<laughs> it's, uh, first of all, it's always my biggest residual check. <laughs> so <laughs> I always like that. And, but it's, it's one of those things where I, um, I lucked into, to the role. So I, again, I was doing uh stand-in work on it mm-hmm. and the extras casting director, Annette, is a phenomenal human being and i worked a lot with her she was she was so good to me in in my time in vancouver she would reach out to me soul source me a lot of times so i didn't have to go through my agent or anything she would just phone me directly and be like hey can you come and do this thing which was which was really nice but she was background casting she wasn't primary casting so she was doing all the extras and that that also covers all of your photo double and sae work so special skills and stuff like that yeah. So she had me on doing initially I was a stand in mm-hmm. so that just when they're the film crew is getting ready to set a scene and light it, you stand there so that the actors don't have to stand there and they can test the lighting. Right. And I just, just there, I'm just, I'm literally better than I could be a styrofoam ball and still accomplish the same job. <laughs> and I then got to do, uh, because you're there anyways, and you usually look like the cast member that you're standing in for, usually goes without saying that at some point, you're probably going to do some kind of photo doubling for that cast member if it's necessary. So I got to do a lot of uh, B unit photo double stuff. And then they had this role come up that was originally supposed to be just an extra role. And it was camp counselors at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. 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 See, you're like, yeah, I know when they're at Crystal Lake. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. You know, when you when you yeah, when you've seen it as many times as I feel like, yeah, I I know very I, well that that scene. So yeah. Right. So that scene at Crystal Lake with the camp counselors when the main actress runs up to to try and get their attention because they're drowning. Jason Wait a minute. In the lake. Wait a minute. That was you. Wait. Yes. That was you. That was. Yes. Can't you see I'm busy? Can't you see I'm busy? Yes. That's, well, yes. Oh my god. That's feet. awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. I love it. I love yeah. it. That is so cool. <laughs> so originally it was just going to be an extra role or maybe a, a special skills because they were just yeah. going to see the back of your head, but because they wanted the, the turn yeah. and then the delivery of the line, and then you got the line, then it had to be an actor role. But at that point, like they, this, this was a month and a bit into filming. Like they are, they were six, seven weeks in at this point. Right. And, and so Annette, even though she was extras casting, got to cast the role. And so she was like, mm-hmm. well, Tyler, do you want to do it? And I was like, sure. And Why they, <laughs> yeah. And then they, um, they had cast as the, the girl, yeah. a good friend of mine, Laura Boddington. And she's a, a phenomenal, phenomenal actress, very, very talented and, and just, just a real joy and a pleasure to work with. But when yeah. she saw the script and what she had to do, she was like, <laughs> no. And with Tyler, <laughs> definitely no. So she was like, well, I am not, I am not doing this scene. Cause, and she, cause Annette was just like, well, you two are the male and female stand-ins. So we'll just, right. we'll give you the role as like, a, as a gift. Right. Yeah. And because it's always nice, because then you get the credit, you get a credit on your IMDb, and you, then it's a thing for Sag, the union. Yeah, and yeah. it's just yeah, it's good, right? And mm-hmm. but she was like, no, I'm not doing it. So what they ended up doing was like, because Laura backed out like last minute, last oh minute, and they they ended up going down to Brandy's, which is a high scale exotic men's club <laughs> in downtown Vancouver. <laughs> And they literally went in and they were like, 
who wants to make a couple hundred bucks in an hour? And they're like, uh-uh, we don't do that at this club. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, not no. Ex- not, not exactly the not exactly yeah. the kind of lead in that you want to go with. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. We need we need an actress for the scene who who we just need you just, you know, need to look good and be comfortable taking your clothes off. And they're like, oh, we do that. That's okay. You can do that. So they ended up hiring this girl. Mm-hmm. And uh, I felt horrible for because they'd made those the the cabins yeah they're not real right it's movie stuff that that crystal lake set was was built and so they had these cedar shake um siding on it but it was just gotta be right up against there and she had to be right up against it right and i'm like and i one of the first jobs that i had in vancouver was yeah. driving exotic dancers and escorts around in a limo. So Dude, you have I, lived like five different lives. Like this you, is amazing. You have no idea. <laughs> there isn't a career that I haven't done. So I, I I knew kind of that this was going to be bad for this girl for how she makes a living. And she's not going mm-hmm. to want cedar shingles all over her back, right? Like yeah. the, just the splinters alone is going to ruin her day. Mm-hmm. So I was like, so you'll see in the scene, I'm leaned in on her. It's because yeah. I've got my hand up against her back. And oh, when I was nice. done filming, I had ridges all the way up and down my forearm because I'm trying oh, to protect man. this poor girl's back so she could go back and work that evening. But yes, so for, it was it was it's a flash in the pan, but yeah. everybody knows the scene. <laughs> everybody knows the scene. And so yep. everybody asks about it. And they're like, mm. you were in Freddy versus Jason. I'm like, barely. But let me yeah. tell you the joy that it was to morph into Freddy Krueger. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> and, and meet Robert Eglin. Like that was, yeah. that's, that's the best part is I got to mm-hmm. be in a makeup trailer with him yeah, and watch him get into oh. Freddy. Oh yeah. And, and it was and the it last was, time he was going to do it too. Like that was, yes. that was it. That was his grand finale. And they present the glove. So the props oh. master, cause that glove is like, it's actually mm-hmm. pretty sharp. Yeah. Uh, on the original, I was talking to him like between takes and I guess on mm-hmm. the original one, they like literally like the prop master made it. And it was like, like he cut himself multiple yeah. times because it was, so they finally figured out how to make it. So that was a little bit of safe for Robert and yeah. everybody else. Mm-hmm. But like when the prop master comes out, like it's because it's, it's like intellectual property and, and like, it's sacred. They yeah. come out and like you, you almost expect a choir of angels or like the Mormon tabernacle <laughs> to like, yeah. It's like they have a Pope mobile just just for the glove, just for the glove. And he comes out and it's on the thing, and they give it to him and only him. And and like, and he's got strict rules around it. Like you, you can't ask. Be like, hey man, because you might. He'd be like, no. And they tell everybody too, no, you don't touch the glove. Robert Mm -hmm. touches the glove. Prop master touches the glove, and that's it. Because they treat it like a like a hot weapon. Yeah. So like the same way that a prop, it is. So the same way the property master would deal with a gun, they deal with the glove. But to see it. Like there, you're like, oh, my God, that's got to be awesome. I mean, it just, yeah, like, I mean, just looking at like the prop, the prop gloves that they would have elsewhere and everything, just nothing, nothing like the magic of actually seeing yeah. that glove in person. God, yeah. I would love the opportunity to, to see that. That would be so cool, man. So, so with that in mind, I mean, like, geez, I mean, like your, your, your story goes like in so many different places. But where does it all start? Like, what was the one thing that had you just kind of going? Because I always like to talk about the lightning bolt moment. But this is like a freaking like lightning storm going on over here. Like there's it just seems like one thing inspired another that inspired another. So where did it all start? What was that first thing that made you say, 
that's what I want to do. That's the kind of experience I want to live. That's the kind of life I want to be in. What was that first step after with, with all of the, the things that you were doing? What was that first thing? Well, it's, it's, so it's funny because I know for a lot of people, there is that lightning bolt moment. I love that you yeah. said it. For me, it's more of a lightning storm. And I would actually say it's a hurricane because yeah. I you, you're familiar with the butterfly theory with chaos effect, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Butterfly flaps its wings in Australia and we get a hurricane off of mm -hmm. Florida. Yeah. That is my life. There was a butterfly somewhere in the ether of time that kind of yeah. flapped its wings. I was a performer in utero. If you ask my mom, I, I tap danced in the womb and I, I was, I, I've always, always, always enjoyed and loved the spotlight, Yeah, which is really weird because I'm an introvert. So like, I don't mm -hmm. like interacting with people. It drains me like you would not believe, but I love being on stage. I love, mm -hmm. I do love the attention. Dude, you are um, so speaking my language. Like this right. is exactly what it's like for me. Is it's like I will, I will be like a type B kind of personality outside. Like if I'm around a type A person, I tend to just kind of like shrivel up or, or anything. Like I'll just go with the flow with things. But get me on that stage, and I will show you what the hell I can do. And yeah, like that's that's why I have this show. Like this yeah. is this is my stage right here. So yeah, I I love that. I I absolutely love that. And it's yeah, funny that I you said tap dancing. It's funny that you said tap dancing because my mom gave me tap dancing lessons when I was a kid. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's, it is honestly my favorite art form. I, I just love doing it. I, I'm very percussive in what I do naturally. Like even if you listen to the rhythm of my speech, yeah, I am picking on beats every time. Like ba 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 ba. Like I I I don't know if it's because I did a lot of Shakespeare when I was younger or yeah. what, but I will naturally find pentamic or iambic pentameter yeah boom 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 boom, boom. i just in my natural speech pattern uh, mm -hmm. i love tap dance because i love being able to make my own i do drum i've been drumming since i was 12 years old so nice. like i yeah. and i just i love doing it and different genres too like i've learned i'm not good at it but i've right. learned uh really i've learned how to do jazz drumming I played in a rock band for three actually for quite a long wow. while i've played in a country band so I play different styles and I just, I just love, love, love just music in general, but percussion in particular is like, it's the first thing I hear. Like if somebody is listening on the radio, right? Mm -hmm. Some people hear the guitar. Some people may hear the bass. Some people hear the vocals. Yeah. First thing I hear is the drum and more specifically the bass drum. I'm like, Oh, that's a, that's a really cool kick pattern. I like that. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah, well, let's do that. And I will nice. bob. Like I just, I love I love drums, but I, the, if I had to pick like the moment that created the trajectory, yeah, it would be the Christmas pageant that I did in the first grade. I got to play first Joseph grade. first grade. Oh, I got to wow. play Joseph and, and my, my next door neighbor, Lisa was Mary and we were like best friends. So like she was Mary, I was Joseph and mm -hmm. They, it was a school pageant play, so there was no real actual baby Jesus. They had a little doll in what was a cradle <laughs> that became the manger, right? Yeah. Which is yeah. hilarious because the whole point was that they didn't have a cradle. Right. They had that. Don't people realize, because I grew up in a farming community, so I know that a manger is like, it's, it's feed trough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, why did we, I was always confused by it. I'm like, why? They didn't have a, a cradle. So why do we have this baby in a cradle? It should be in a manger. It's, it's, 
whatever. So I was, I was already confused as a six year old, um, but they, <laughs> Shenanigans! Uh, yeah, the, the three wise men brought the gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh to right. me. And as period appropriate for 2000 years ago, they were all wrapped in Christmas paper and boxes like this, which again is hilarious because if you had a box of gold that was like this, it would weigh a mint. Right. And uh, frankincense and myrrh, like, well, particularly of myrrh, they're like, it's an oil, right? So it's, mm -hmm. like, it's a box doesn't make sense. But again, six years old, I don't know. So yeah. wise men give me these wrapped packages <laughs> and I need to then get the next package. So I need to put the first package <laughs> down. So I just place it gently on the manger right over top of this baby <laughs> Jesus's head. And then grab the next box, put it down, grab the next box. Put it down. And the audience is doing exactly what you're doing right now. Cause you can picture it. Yeah. They're, and they're laughing their asses off. And I was like, I love this. I yeah. was hooked from that moment. I was hooked. And so oh, that would have man. been late December, 1985. Oh, wow. Okay. And 1986, my, in February, my father passed away at single vehicle motor vehicle incident and oh, he perished instantly Ooh. and i didn't outwardly grieve that right i'm six years old i don't really understand yeah. the finality of death like all of the things it was just so hard to process but i think out of concern or wanting to have something for tyler to do and i was always tiny like i was i was the run to the litter like in all my class photos from grade one through to grade 12 i'm always the kid in front center middle mm-hmm Right. Because that's the yep. shortest kid. <laughs> so I was the second shortest. I was second shortest. So yeah, I get yeah. it. Yep. Yeah. So it's, it was me and Denny Mackay. And we were yep. like in every photo, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of shout outs today to people that I know. And so <laughs> <laughs> they, it, it was, it was one of those things where I didn't really get into organized hockey until a little bit later, like in, when I was around 12 years old. And even mm -hmm. then I was a goaltender. I didn't play out. I played goal and I still play goal. I played a oh, game nice. last night. I didn't get nice. home off the rink until one o'clock in the morning. And you're here. So, you got energy to spare. Like that's. Of course. Well, but this is how you're born to do a thing. Right, George? Mm -hmm. Like I, you could have, you could have asked, could we record this at two in the morning? And yeah. I would have said, absolutely. You want to do 4am? I do a lot of shows in for Australian audience audiences and for European wow. audiences. So I'm doing, I I recorded two weeks ago with a gentleman in Australia and we did it. It was two 30 in the morning, my time. So that we could do really? it conveniently for him. Now, do um, you have coffee? Do you? I know. I have a what massive intolerance to caffeine. This is na all natural. <laughs> That's all natural. <laughs> yeah, I can't. If I, you ask my wife, it's hilarious because I also have. I'm allergic to milk, so it curdles in the back of my throat. I don't have a oh, lacto. I'm not lactose intolerant. I'm actually allergic to milk. Yeah, but we have a restaurant here called the White Spot. And the yeah. white spot makes the best handmade old fashioned vanilla milkshakes. Ooh. I love those things. And they just yeah. about kill me every time. So because it's all curdling. What a way to go. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I'm happy to die that way. I would be a die happy man. <laughs> but in order to drink one, in order to have one, and they're only a treat like once or twice a year, right? Like yeah. Christmas and my birthday. It's like, I'm going to have me a, I'm going to have me a wicked stomach ache, a hard time mm -hmm. breathing. And I'm going to have me a milkshake. 
and but so in order to like actually wash it down i end up having a coke for some reasons the acidity in a coke will cut through it and it will like clear my oh, throat good. and allow me to be able to and it starts and my stomach is an absolute fit but it like yeah. it's weird because it settles it better than pepto-bismol yeah which you'd think would be the opposite because it's acidic versus basic yeah but there's something about gotta the, be the carbonation the, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I have no idea what it is, but I just know that if I want to drink a milkshake, I have to drink a Coke. But if I drink that Coke, I am seriously up for 48 hours, not 24, wow. 48. I don't sleep the night oh and then I don't God. sleep the next night. Like I cannot, ca- caffeine and me don't get along. I drink tea, but yeah. it's herbal tea. Like I can't even, I can't even have green tea. And I love green tea because I lived in Asia for a bit. I love me my bubble tea. Yeah. Oh, but that's another one where I'm like, if I have my bubble tea, I'm up for. 36 hours it's, it's right. just ridiculous so no this is this is all natural i i am i am in awe i am, <laughs> i i was already in awe when i saw like the 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 different things you do and everything but now it's just like and he's doing that all natural oh geez <laughs> and but see now it makes sense right because you're like how sense. how can this kid have this kind of a resume yeah you know, Barely in his 40s, looks like he's in his 30s. I was going to say it so that you didn't have to. I'm going to give my own right. compliment, right? I just, I'm moisturizing, right? And like everybody's like, there's no way you did all that stuff. I'm like, I've been working since I was six years old, mm-hmm. right? So when, when my dad passed away, they were looking for an outlet for me. So I got to go into theater and do it professionally. And oh, so nice. from, from six on, I have been essentially self-employed and, and, and working in initially stage and then film mm-hmm. and television as I got into my later teens and then oh, retired man. at 25. Cause you yeah. can, cause at that point you had a 20 year career. Why not retire and take right. all your mad movie star money and go back mm-hmm. to school, which I did got an engineering discipline, started my own company as a, as a mapping firm. So aerial photography wow. and doing photogrammetry the photographic Damn. study of earth measurement. And it was, that was a really fun thing. My uncle was a photogrammetrist. My other uncle was a uh, photogrammetrist and cartographer. So I knew it. My so some of they kind of got you into it, like as you were growing up, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So I, I understood, I understood what it was again. One of the, the other jobs that I had when I first moved out to Vancouver to be like acting full time for yeah. a year, I worked at my uncle's photogrammetry firm, scanning aerial photography. And then it just became too much of a conflict where I was having to take too much time off because I was starting to book a lot of work. I mm-hmm. got cast in Ragtime, and nice. that was that was a commitment. That, that run I think was fourteen months. We wow. had a residency at the Ford Theater in. Oh, Vancouver. very cool. So it was I. I just I couldn't do that anymore. And then I was making more anyway. Like and it was good. And the funny thing is, I was making good money doing it because you got to remember this was late nineties, like ninety seven, ninety eight. Yeah. And I was making like 18 bucks an hour at wow in, in 97 scanning, but yeah. union rate for a performer is like 23 or 24. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, and you're a day rate too. Like, that's the thing. It's not hourly. It's a day rate. So it's based. So I'd have to, and I only had to work three or four hours on the show. Oh, nice. And right. And, but you're still yep. getting a day rate. <laughs> so I was like, why, why am I commuting for an hour to work eight and a half to come back an hour when I can make more money doing a four hour res and just do this? So and just, and I, it's something that you love and something. So now at the same time though, like regarding the engineering and everything that you were doing, like that's all something you loved as well, right? You had, you had a lasting interest in it. 
Yeah, well, because I find it, I find it fascinating, yeah. and on top of it, it's a dying art. So mm -hmm. the Google now is just is everything's on satellites. They used yeah. to fly planes. Like it was a, it was a, a scientific discipline that started late, late in the first world war with biplanes yeah. and they would take pictures and then try to take out the, the relief by doing overlap. They figured out you could um, have stereo pair imagery and start to figure out the, the terrain and they could help map some of these. They could see where the front lines were advancing. And that was right. at a time where planes couldn't really be touched, right? Yeah. Because anti-aircraft uh, artillery hadn't really been developed. So you didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing. So that that's when it started. Then it really, really, came into its own in the second world war but then you needed to get higher and higher in the planes and then in the cold war you had like the b-52 spy plane all that stuff was so that you could have photogrammetry you could take images of the ground and then piece together where things were happening right and but now it's it's mostly satellite and with really really decent resolution but if you want to get the really really in tight resolution like you want to see what's on the ground you want to be able to read somebody's newspaper yeah. You still can't do that from satellite. Like CSI oh, no. is is bunk, right? Like you can't yeah. you can't enhance a pixel that is that just, goes like that far. Yeah. 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 If, if the information wasn't there to begin with, it isn't going to be there now. So mm -hmm. you have to augment that. And usually they're doing that with planes. But it like I said, there's fewer and fewer and fewer people doing it. It's moving away from analog photographs, right? Like mm -hmm. on film rolls. Yeah. Especially because like you you, you Try ordering any film, Kodak, yeah. Kodak and Fuji, Nowhere. I think are the only ones that create films still. And it's, yeah. it's almost digital has taken over everything. Mm -hmm. And, and when I was doing my mapping firm, digital still wasn't considered photograph photogrammetrically accurate hmm. because you couldn't measure the cameras and you didn't know what the distortion in the lens was. And you didn't know how the pixels would affect and reflect the information that was being gathered. So, but yeah, obviously I have a passion for it because we just went down a completely and totally nerd right. trail <laughs> and, and I love it. I love that yeah. stuff. It's still to this day. I look at a Google image and I go, I know how that was done. Or I'll be like, Ooh, that stitching was poor. They didn't blend that. Scene well. <laughs> But that's great. I mean, like that's, there's so many different passions that you have and you're able to kind of cater to each one now. Like, so you, you went through the, you went through the acting, you even, you got to be in theater, film and television, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you have the engineering and everything. And then what was it that made you kind of like, I mean, granted, you said that before that the, the whole thing about being on theater on, on the stage and everything is what really kind of pulled you away from the normal job from the nine to five. And then what happened after that? What was it that, that grabbed your attention there? Like, cause at some point you went into, you went into speaking and well, yeah. that was, and that was all of a sudden that opened up a whole lot of, whole lot of doors for you that are wide open today, you know, which, which are amazing. Yeah. Well, what happened was I, I got into, I stepped away from the acting because I'd gotten really complacent with it. Mm. It'd become a job. Right. So, and I, I don't work well for other people. And so when it was a job and I was having to go out to auditions and I was reliant, I just, I just, I didn't like it. It's yeah. when it, as soon as it stopped being fun, I didn't want to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then with the business, it collapsed. Like I said, it was a dying breed. There are other people. And if you're not doing it on a big scale, you're not doing it at all. That's yeah. kind of like farming where it's really hard to find mom and pop farms anymore they're all these massive massive corporate conglomerate oh, the acreages yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so that was kind of, that was kind of where I was going. My business collapsed. I, I just did fizzled. Mm-hmm. And, but when you're doing that kind of work, your primary client is the government because they're the ones yeah. who are grabbing the most of the photogrammetric information. They're the ones who need constant updates of city plans and, and just development areas. And so th- my big uh, client was sustainable development as well mm-hmm. as the USGS, the United States Geological Survey. Those were my two big clients each year. But if you're working for the government, they want you to have a safety system and program, right? Yeah. For OSHA rules and OHS and whatever jurisdiction you're working in. Mm-hmm. So I had to get all this safety training. When the business collapsed, I still had all this safety training. Right. And a buddy of mine, Matt, who is a genius businessman and has been running his own construction company, an elect- he's an electrician. He's that I think MPN has been going 30 years now and Matt's been in charge of it for the last 20. Very, very successful. And he was going through, uh, this would have been mid 2000s and economic boom just before the bust. Everything was blown up, right? Housing, it was just before the housing bubble. So everybody was spending money like it was, you could print it. Oh yeah. Because they were. (laughs) And and so he he said, listen, I've got this massive, massive nine figure project that, that we're involved in up north in the oil sands and I need a safety manager. My safety manager just got poached by one of these other clients and Mm -hmm. I can't afford to pay him the multi six figures, but I can give you low six figures if you're interested in doing it. And I was like, yeah, let's do this. It was good money growing. I just gotten married. It was, it was a thing to, I, I, yeah, I could use a cash influx. So let's do this. Mm -hmm. And so I, he paid for me to upgrade some of my courses so that I could get a national construction safety officer designation. And what I rapidly found out was I know nothing about safety. <laughs> Everything I know about safety, I learned from my time on film doing stunt yeah. work. Stunt work is still the safest job I ever had. Literally jumping out of a six story window. Yeah. Safest task I've ever been asked to perform. Really? Um, yeah. Because there's so much training that goes into it. There's so much prep work that goes into it. There's so much engineering that goes into it. There's so much administrative paperwork that goes into making sure that when you get pushed out a window, you don't end up as a news story in variety about how this production just killed a guy. Yeah. So there, it is seriously unbelievably safe. And the people that I worked with were such professionals because I am by no means a stuntman. I'm an actor who has done stunts. I know right. a lot of really, really, really good uh stunt guys my buddy that actually helped me when i was doing my my high falls nick barrick yeah. he is the he's the dude in the car uh in the suv in the original deadpool when deadpool, oh, when they do the, yeah, stu- yeah. the opening secret stunt with all mm-hmm. the credits and the maximum effort and yeah. The, the, yeah maximum effort that's yes. right <laughs> so my buddy nick is the back seat behind the driver the first one no that kidding. gets like punched out the, yeah yeah so he's oh, yeah I, I every time i see it because here's the thing with stunt guys normally you don't see us right yeah. you're we're supposed to be especially if you're doubling which nick does mm-hmm. a lot of but he also does a lot of like because he's got a he's got a really good military look and he's he's just he's got the look so yeah. a lot of times he does get to be featured so mm-hmm. like i know i've seen him in like the 100 and a couple of other things like that but when i saw him in that because it's so because you're freezed on his face because it's slow-mo and you're like yeah that's my buddy 
<laughs> yeah, I re- I just re- just want to cut in really quick because I re- I remember hearing like uh, as growing up and a you know lover of film and everything, two movies that really stuck out at me as ones that I've heard that stuntmen were just like l- wanting to be in so badly and got so excited to be a part of it. Back to the Future Part Three because of the mm-hmm. Western and yeah. Roadhouse. That yeah. was the big. That was the big one because of all the fighting that was going on. They had so many different stuntmen involved in that. So yeah, that was definitely like as soon as you heard, as soon as you mentioned that, it was just like I remember that and I remember that. Like that's I yeah. remember just like hearing all about that. How they just wanted that had they had so many like an influx of stuntmen just wanting to be a part of it. Well, and also because the, at that point that they're they're stunt heavy, right? Like yeah. you look at any the credits if you're watching the end credits because i do try to see if i know the people um, exactly <laughs> and, uh the your stunt performers and there's like three or four yeah right and you got to think like it, it is a very small community but there's still probably in vancouver alone there's probably two or three hundred stunt folks uh, where i'm living right now there's probably 50 to 100 yeah. and when you only have four or five roles like am i a good double for this person is this just a general stunt performance like where where are we at with it and again, I'm not a stunt man. I'm an actor who was just blessed to do stunts, but I got to work with some really, really, really good professionals who were able to help me do it and make it look safe. So yeah. that that was a joy, but I had this experience. So I knew I could understand safety, but I was understanding it from a film perspective. And I used to yell at people. I'd be like, get down off that ladder or get tied off like you're you're what you're doing is dangerous you don't even know anything actor boy you're not even a tradesperson. you don't pull wire you don't know what's going on i'm like what let me tell you i jumped out of a six-story window and it was safer and i'd say it enough that a couple executives had actually heard me give this speech Mm -hmm. and one day one of the executives came up to me it was like is that true i said is what true Mm. they used to jump out of windows i said well i did it like three times and, yeah. but it was stunt work. And yes, it, and he's like, is it, was it really actually safer than working here? Cause this, you got to remember these are oil and gas guys. These multi, multi billion dollar. These are VPs whose bonuses are more than some small countries, GDPs. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. and for them to hear that the work that is being performed is more dangerous <laughs> Mm-hmm. than me jumping out of a window. It's a bit of an eye-opener for them. Yeah. So I, the one asked me if I would give it as a keynote presentation. And oh, I nice. said, sure, what's a keynote? Because I didn't know at the time. Right. And he explained, and I'm like, yeah, no, that's an easy thing. I could fill 45 minutes with that. That's I, I can talk for an hour. Ask my buddy George. He can't get me to <laughs> shut up. <laughs> right? So I... <laughs> I was like, dude, just keep talking. This is great. Yeah. So so I was like, I was like, absolutely. I can do that. That is not a problem. And then I I scrambled and put together a a presentation and the, and then a few more people asked me to do it. Next thing I knew I'm doing this public speaking, but not only was I doing public speaking, I had, because I'm getting asked by executives and, and uh, some people that are high up senior management types, middle management types. And they're asking, how do you do that? Like when I give a presentation, it's boring. And yeah. people are tuned out. Like it's an invitation to a lobotomy. Why? And I don't want to be that. Right. How do you do this? And I'm like, I don't know. I've been, asked my mom. I've been talking since I was one. Like, like this is just who I do. And, and so eventually a couple of them had reached out to me and they're like, listen, I really want I have this upcoming talk or I have to give this presentation or I have this, whatever I have yeah. to present at this AGM. Would you please, please, please help me make the speech better? 
Hmm. All right. Next thing I know, I'm an executive coach showing awesome. people how to, to do this and having to put together some of those training programs and, mm -hmm. and come up with some customized content to help these like these, like these guys shouldn't have any problem, right? On paper, any problem yeah. standing up in front of people like they, 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 they run the world. Right. And yet they're, they're terrified, terrified of, of the world see, actually seeing them as opposed mm. to the PR that they're trying to put out of, I am the executive versus I am this human being. Yeah. And that became this huge eye opener for me that that's actually the reality for most people, regardless of if you're this seven figure, eight figure executive, or if you're you and me working at McDonald's for crying mm -hmm. out loud, that social interaction, people are often very terrified of. And, and what's that? stat which by the way is not a true stat 77 percent of americans express anxiety around public speaking it's bs we, we're not really? afraid of public it's no there's no way you and i are afraid of public speaking that's have true. you ever been to a, have you ever been to a restaurant george oh yeah yeah i bet you half of the listeners for excelsior journeys have been to mm -hmm. a restaurant if not more so. yeah. i would hope so right yeah. If you've been to a restaurant, you spoke in public because you had to use your mouth in a public space to ask your wait staff, who, if you didn't know, by the way, makes them a complete stranger. So you spoke in public to a stranger. So this these these this notion that somehow we're afraid to speak in public or we're afraid to speak to strangers is yeah. BS. What we are afraid of is when we speak, if the attention is directly on us by everyone in that public's forum. Mm hmm that the judgment on us will be negative. So what we're actually yeah. afraid of is public judgment. And that's true from mm -hmm. elementary school child yep. to- When seven, they have to get up eight, and read a book report. Like, a nine-figure yeah. executive of Fortune 500, that fear of public judgment is, is shared by 77% mm -hmm. of Americans, I would, I would be willing to guess, if not more. Yeah. And, and you also have like stand-up comedians that mm -hmm. a big reason why like that room is dark is so that they're not putting their, they all, they can focus on what it is that they want to say. And, and that way they don't see everyone sitting out there with their arms folded, just like be funny. Yeah. You know, like that's, yeah. Yeah. Well, and stand-up comedy is in my opinion, the mm -hmm. hardest art form of any of the performance a arts. Men. Period. Amen. I, would, I so agree with that. I you know, so agree I, with that. I know people who have been in ballet for 30 years mm -hmm. and I'd go, great. All you have to do is learn choreography and remember muscle memory. Is it yeah. still an incredibly difficult art form? Yes. Mm -hmm. Somebody who plays the violin and fiddle, very difficult. French horn, very difficult, right? The, all of the, all of those require great dedication, great practice, great luck to yeah. be really good at that art form. Stand-up comedy is still harder. Yep. Because it's stripped you, away. Like, yeah. All it if is you is just, miss a, you a note, microphone. Yeah. Yeah. If you miss a note here or there, or your timing is off on some run in music, so be it. You miss a step in your choreography and ballet, you fall. Mm -hmm. Fall. Doing a pirouette. Yeah, you get back up and you finish that dance. Whatever, 
your joke doesn't land in stand-up comedy because that's the thing you can do multiple dance disciplines you can do multiple genres of music but as a comedian mm -hmm. you have one expectation make me laugh you don't make me laugh You're oh done. boy i would i just i i have nothing and it, particularly an amateur comedian yeah. who's trying to work their way up the ranks my buddy drew howard is one of the funniest guys i know i still can't figure out why he's not famous one of these days because we have a lot of really famous canadian comedians oh yeah like a lot like we mm -hmm. we i swear it's our second largest export to the united states as comedians yeah i can believe but it. Yeah. i i to this day i don't know why drew is not famous he is so good he is so funny his delivery mm -hmm. is so on and the people who yeah. go to see him know they're like this kid has something and but you you fight your way through all of these small clubs day in mm -hmm. day out that it's just like it really is a grind and the only reward the only reward because you and i both know there's no money in it <laughs> yeah the only reward is knowing that you've made people laugh and if you yep. don't make them laugh oh god i could you couldn't yeah. pay me enough i i, I have yeah. great admiration and respect Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've been a stand-up lover since childhood and I could all, I, I would always, even during, even during times when I feel like as confident as I can be to step on a stage, there's no way in hell I can, I have it in me to do any sort of stand-up. And I have nothing but respect for every one of them who took their shot on that, yeah. on that little stage with that faux brick wall behind them. Like that's, yeah. I'd that's, rather do yeah. karaoke. <laughs> I've day done, day yeah, I've yeah. done karaoke. I've done my share of karaoke even like, but, but yeah, like, I mean, stand up. Is here's just the thing. Like, even when you're bad at karaoke, you can still be entertaining. Yeah. And especially cause you're doing someone else's song. You know, yeah. like it's, if you're doing, if you're, you're doing stand up, it's your own material. It's your own take on things. But and again, like if, as a public speaker, I'm giving my own material. Yeah. But there isn't that expectation of laughter. You don't know what I'm going to say and you don't know how, you're going to feel at the end of it. And if I'm off my mark and somebody mm -hmm. doesn't have maybe that transformation that I was hoping for, or they yeah. don't walk away with the inspiration that mm -hmm. I was hoping that they got, yeah. they still probably got something from it and they will never know if I did or didn't meet my expectation of what that performance was. Yeah. Stand up. However, you don't laugh. You bombed like mm -hmm. period. Done. Yeah. And what you were saying before regarding judgment, like that actually, like that fits right into a particular episode. We were mentioning before how you're going to be sharing the stage with Tony Robbins in May. Now, I will my... be on his stage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'll be on his stage. Very on his early stage. on in the program yeah. before most of the eight to 9,000 people that are showing up will actually be there. Just want to be clear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you yeah, you won't be you know sharing the stage like at the same time with him. You yeah. you the two of you will be on that stage at different points of the day. That's but there was there was one there was one episode of his podcast that really really got to me. I went ahead and just like saved it on, on my on my podcast app. But it was an episode where the episode was what do you, what do you do if you think you're a fraud? And that goes right there to what you were saying about judgment, because this one guy was saying how he had an idea for wanting to expand his business, but he felt that he was a fraud, that he didn't feel like he was worthy of doing mm -hmm. that. Do you deal with that a lot as, as, a, as, a, as a speaker, as a coach? Yes. This, so yeah. I 
I am very lucky and very blessed that I'm on that come May 20th, I get to share that stage. But I'll tell you right now, every time I tell somebody about it, mm -hmm. there's a thing in the back of my head going, you still haven't done it. Shut up. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it until it's actually a thing because it may not come mm -hmm. to fruition. Your spot could get pulled because you've got, there's all these other people who are speaking that day. And, mm -hmm. it, and it's true because yeah. Wally Bloom's going to be there. JT Fox is going to be there. Phil Town, who is hands down the greatest speaker I've ever witnessed in my entire life. If I could be half as good as Phil, I will yeah. have made the world's greatest speech come true in my estimation because that guy is just, whoa, God, he's yeah. so good. Tony, right? And mm -hmm. so all of I've, there's all these incredible speakers that are going on and my spot may still be cut. Like it, mm -hmm. it may not work. And I, and if the promoter has to pull me, I have a really good relationship with him and, and that's okay. Yeah. But I, I, that is my, like I'm, I'm back here. And on top of it, I, I constantly am going, who am I to be teaching these people to public speak? Mm -hmm. I've had, yep. I've had the, privilege and honor and again this is a pr spin to have less brown open for me wow now the reality is less was doing a a wonderful three-day workshop in bend oregon and for mm -hmm. anybody who doesn't know less is living with cancer and has been mm -hmm. for years and years and years and years and every once in a while he'll get a flare-up or a something or he'll have to go and you'll have to check in with a hospital you can't take the stage, which is one of the reasons why, uh, as of late, a lot of people will have noticed that a lot of what Les does is virtual because then he can do ah. it from the comfort of his own home and he, he's able to just kind of control his schedule a little bit more. Travel is very hard on him. Yeah, still going to do it himself. Yeah, no. And he is one of the, the, the most inspirational humans I've ever met in my entire life. Like nothing keeps uh, Mama Mae Brown's baby down like that. Like mm -hmm. Les Brown is... I just, I, I love every chance I've ever had to be in a room with him, but he got sick. The promoter, it hit the promoter that was putting that event on is a good friend of mine. And she phoned and she was like, can you get to bend tonight? Yeah, I could. I think I actually could. All the flights were done, but it wasn't that far a drive for me. I did have to cross the border, but I could get there within six hours. And she was yeah. like phoning at like four. So I was like, yeah, I can be there by nine your time, provided the border doesn't hold me up too much because of the yeah. time change. She's like, great. If you could be here, I've got a spot for you to speak after less tomorrow because he's not sure that he'll be able to finish the day. Whoa. Whoa. Right. So yeah. I went in, I did the thing. It was a good synergy because gail is also the wrote the forward for my book so there was some natural nice. this guy has some authority to this yeah but even still like i'm i like i always feel like i need to put in the asterisks right mm -hmm. Les brown open for me that's a reality mm -hmm. but and to me it's not the truth the truth is i filled in for i filled in a spot that was going to be otherwise go blank because i just happened to be able to be in the right place at the right time right. the tony thing I'm, will I get to be on stage? Maybe, maybe not until I've actually stood on that stage mm -hmm. and I've talked to those 9,000 people. I, I don't know that I, I don't know. I don't believe I, in my head, I don't believe it's true until I've actually done it. And even then I'm going to want to put asterisks, right? I'm not speaking yep. on, I'm not speaking with Tony I'm speaking yep. on a stage that Tony will be on. And I, I always feel the need to clarify that mostly because I don't want to misrepresent it myself. Right. Because I believe strongly in integrity and because I want to say these are my credentials, which is why when you introduced me at the beginning of the episode, George, everything in my head is going, 
That's true. 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 Oh, how do I live up to that? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right? Like you're like, well, I mean, just, just the fact that just looking at your credentials, here's the thing for me, looking at your credentials, looking at everything that you've done, everything that you do, the type of, the type of people that you've worked with, the type of people that you're going to be like, that you're going to be on the same, like on the stage that someone else, you know, who is amazingly huge will occupy just literally and figuratively. The guys, the guy's big. Yeah. (laughs) But like everything there. And I'm just thinking, and this man agreed to be, this man reached out to be on this one man podcast. Just so at some point, that's where I was just thinking like, dude, these people want to be on your show. They're agreeing to be on your show. If you're reaching out to them, they're saying yes. If you're if you're not reaching out to them, they're reaching out to you. At some point, you got to start listening to the other people and say, hey, maybe they know what they're talking about. And well, that's and and that's what I have, have deal with every single day. You know, and when again, it comes that's to this. why I want to be clear with the authenticity. One of the things that makes your show such a, a draw is the fact that there is no pretension, that you are true to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I know what I'm getting. Yeah. Because because you are the you're not trying to be something that you're not. And right. I think that's where I it's it's a double edged sword. Right. Because you're mm-hmm. trying to it's it's that weird line between either humility or insecurity. Yeah. Where are you at? Right. Am I being mm-hmm. humble with it or am I being insecure with it? And it's it, I mean, it's razor thin. Yeah. razor thin and especially as somebody who is teaching like i'm teaching people you you need to say the thing that you're afraid to say because that's what yeah. your audience needs to hear that mm-hmm. your message does matter the whole time in my head i'm going who the hell are you to say that right <laughs> and i'm going and i'm going you don't really have a story until somebody reads my bio mm-hmm. and then i'm like wow that's look at what i've overcome way to go tyler Right. But I don't, I've lived my life. So I don't see it until somebody gives the highlight introduction at the beginning of an episode. And then I go, wow. And mm-hmm. then I go, I don't know how to live up to it. I, mean, I swear to you every time it's, it's this mm-hmm. really weird experience. But at the same time, I have to recognize that I am not Tony Robbins. Right. And I don't need to be Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be Phil town. Yeah. I don't need to be Brian Tracy. I don't need to be Les Brown. I need to be me. Mm-hmm. And eventually there won't be those great. There's going to need to be somebody who steps in and starts filling that content. Those shoes. Void, yep. Right. And why, why not me? Yeah. You know, there are people who resonate with my message. There are people who, when I say the things that I say are nodding along going, yes, that makes sense. And so all I have to do is be me and provide the best value that I can and the, who my audience needs to be will be there. Yeah. I can't control the size of it. And I don't care what the gurus say. You don't, yeah, you can splash your content out there. Yeah. You can fill your room. There's a, there's dozens of those guys who just fill the room and get your message out, fill the room, get your message out. Yeah. Okay. But your room may be filled with just 20 people. Mm-hmm. Your, your room may be a single individual person who needs to hear your message. I've been there. Yeah. You've got to be happy and satisfied with that. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. just, 
that just how it how it is yeah and, and i think where people start to it's when you start to do this future projection or when you start to do this comparison right mm -hmm. no i need to be happy yeah just just to do my thing if i right. get to do it at some of these higher levels i get to celebrate that and i mm -hmm. think that's my big issue particularly with the tony stage being in the future yeah I'm not, I don't celebrate future successes. I celebrate the current successes. So until it's done, it's a really hard thing for me to talk about. And again, yep. how am I teaching you? Like I've never done a TEDx stage. So I'm not going to, mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about how to get on a TEDx stage. I don't know. I'm going to get my buddy Adam Markell to come and talk about that because he's been on a TEDx stage or I'm going to get Sean Douglas to come and talk about it because he's been on a TEDx stage. Yeah. And I'm going to be the first to say, I don't know. And I'll also be the first to say, I don't agree with Ted. So I'm not going to get on it. But wow. those are my, those are my stones yeah. in a, in a glass house, right? Like yeah. I'm, I don't like where Ted is right now. I like Ted, mm -hmm. Ted. There's so many of these TEDx ones and the quality varies. Mm -hmm. And if that's, if that's what you want, you want to be on the red dot. Great. These yeah. are the people who know how to do it. But the other thing that I don't like about Ted is how structured it is. Mm. And how they're telling you how to control your content. One of the things that I teach, one of my main pillars is you never memorize a speech. Mm. Because and you that's, need to have and that's exactly what you have to do when you're on You have stage. to do it for Ted. Yeah. And I would refuse to do it. I will not hand over a script beat for beat for beat. Will mm -hmm. I stay within the time? Absolutely. One of the big tenets that I teach people is if you're told that you're going to speak for 45 minutes, plan for 35. Mm. It, it's the rare instance where going under is actually the better thing to do. Yeah. Because it allows for question period. If you need to fill, like if the promoter's like, yeah, right. Bring it. Bring, we need more, stretch it out, stretch it out. But mm -hmm. I know I've, I've been around this industry for so many years. I have never seen a promoter be like, yeah, I see promoters who are like, right. Just, Let's, let's go. Let's, let's, let's wrap go. it up. Yep. Time. You're over they time. They we don't have the clock. orchestra to start playing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. There. And but the number of times I've seen somebody point to the clock that's flashing red and is like a minus five, and they're Oof. like, "Get off!" Right. Mm -hmm. Is way more than I've ever seen anybody be like, "Hey, do you mind? Like, can you fill it out?" Now it does happen. Yeah. I have seen it where somebody's either been sick or they had to shuffle something around, and so. They're like, hey, do you think you can fill an extra 10 or 15 minutes? Which is right. a speaker. Of course I can. Mm -hmm. But it's more often the fact where they'll come to you and be like, okay, Tyler, I know we promised you 25, but the last two went long and I need you to keep it to 15. Can you do it? And that's the real skill. That's, that's what I teach. How do mm -hmm. you tell your story so that you can have impact right now? Or how do you tell it so that you can stretch it out over the hour? Yeah. And and that I know I can train. And so that's, that's what I do train. And, and right. again, if I'm, if I'm true to that message, the rest of it works out, but I still ride that. Am I being humble or am I being insecure line on a minutely basis? What has it been like when you've been working with these different clients and all of a sudden they not only get what it is that you're trying to do, but are able to apply that to their own presentations and get that sort of success that they've been wanting. What does that feel like when you get that? Well, that's why I do the work that I do because it's the most rewarding feeling on the planet. When you see the light bulb moment, yeah. right? Or for you, for the lightning mm -hmm. bolt, like when you see that yeah. fly off and you're like, oh, mm -hmm. and you watch somebody just, it's that, it's that whole uh, butterfly was still a caterpillar at some point, 
right? The DNA is yeah. exactly the same. There's, there's no difference on it, right. but all of a sudden it's gotten its wings and it can go like it had to go into a chrysalis. It had to have some form of mutation to go from one to the other. But yeah. when they, so there's still, it's still the same creature. It's just, mm -hmm. it's, it's found its true representation of itself and off it, off yeah. it can fly and, and beautiful too. Like they're beautiful when they flash their colors. I love butterflies. There's actually yeah. a, a really wonderful uh, terrarium here in Calgary at the Calgary zoo. And you can actually go through and, and they breed like eight or 10 different species of butterflies. And it's one yeah. of my favorite places to go because you can actually see them when they're, when they're still in their pupa stage and, and when they get into a chrysalis and then you, when they, when they actually hatch and they come mm -hmm. out, it's just, it's a spectacular thing. And it's always been something that I've marveled at because I've, I've felt that right. Like we're always in some form of evolution in our, in our journey. And when mm -hmm. I can see somebody get their wings and find their beauty. And for me, an authentic speaker, I hate that. I hate the word. It's, oh, it's a buzzword. It's overused in the industry right now. For me, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. Who you are at your core. Mm. And when you can yeah. strip it away and be unashamed. When you can be a stand-up comedian and bomb. Because that's how you're going to learn what works with your jokes. And you're okay to yeah. go and give a set that is terrible. So that you can find the right. one joke that landed and then build on that. Because you mm -hmm. don't care. You're you're there to serve the audience. And so you want to get better so that they have a better time each and every time you're up on stage. Like that, that to me is is the process. You gotta get up, you gotta do it. And you gotta be. I was on 250 podcasts last year. Some of them were really good, some of them were really bad, but I'm gonna keep doing them because if I if I believe that confidence comes through competence. Uh -oh. Glitching again. We've got it. <laughs> Because I believe that competence comes yeah, through confidence and or confidence mm -hmm. comes through competence. So in order to get competent at something and therefore confident at something, you have to do repetition. It's one of the oldest self-development yeah. principles on the planet that you only mm -hmm. receive perfection through repetition. Right. And I'm, I'm never going to be perfect. That's, that's the other thing. Like I have to accept that there will never be a perfect Tyler, but in order to get close to it, I'm going to have to repeat over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again, get that muscle memory. And in order to do that, you really have to become in tune with who you are. And so for me, authenticity is synonymous with self-awareness. You want to see the really good speakers out there. It's because they're unashamedly and unabashedly them through and through without any exception and without apology. And that's when, yeah. you, that's when you really have impact because that's when you resonate with the audience that you need. And that's when you repel the audience that you don't. Right. Right. So say there is someone who is, uh, who is, who has something within them, who really has like a story that they want to tell, who has like a direction that they want to kind of, you know, help someone in feel that they have value. They have something to say, what would you say to them would be like the first thing that they should do in order to, start moving in that correct direction that they need to go in really kind of get on that stage. If you think you have a message, start speaking it Yeah, and understand that stages come in all shapes and forms and sizes. You and I met on Podmatch, Yeah. Which is a phenomenal place for anybody who's starting out to yeah. get, 
to get a chance to have a platform and use other people's platforms. I believe so strongly in Podmatch that I actually reached out to the um, founder, Alex, of Podmatch. Oh, really? And I'm running a challenge next month. So starting with technically starting March 31st, but the challenge will run April. Uh, So in just a couple of days now, um, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a hundred people and show them how to get on a hundred podcasts in a hundred days. Because I believe that those first couple are going to suck, even when you're good. Like I'm good. And my first couple of podcasts were, were stumbling through because it was a new format for me. It was a new media. And this, I'm in media yeah. a lot. Like I've done television. I've done press junkets. I'm used to people asking questions. This is not a foreign concept to me, but I, I still right. didn't have my podcast flow. But I'll tell you, after the yeah. first 20 or 30, not only was it incredibly helpful for me to understand what my messaging was, mm-hmm. but I got good at my message. And when I got really good hosts like you, who asked really good probative questions and we could start to delve into some of these other areas, I started to discover new stories that I had forgotten that I, that I knew. And now I'm able to expand, (laughs) but so we're going to do this, this hundred podcasts in a hundred days challenge. And we still have a few spots open for it. We are charging a hundred dollars because I'm basically giving every tip and trick that I've learned over the past year using pod match. We're going to have Alex come on and give some insider information on the internal workings of the algorithm of Podmatch, why he put Podmatch together, what makes a really good podcast guest so that you can get on. But that's a chance for, for if you have a message, that's a place for you to start finding those connected hosts, those connected platforms, and using other people's platforms to start getting your message out. And I would encourage everybody, even if you're not going to do that, if you're like, no, I I don't want a podcast, I don't want to do whatever, start talking. Start talking in your workplace. If somebody needs Mm -hmm. to do, even if they're particularly in a construction environment, we have toolbox talks. They don't always have to be right about safety or what the job that we're doing today. I promise you, your boss, if they they have to give meetings every week, your boss is starving for content. They don't know what to do. Your supervisor Mm -hmm. needs some information. So if you went, hey, this is a thing that's important to me. Could I have 10 minutes to speak about it? This is how it relates to the work we're doing. Like find a way... And again, this becomes a a muscle memory thing. How do I make this, my message fit with somebody else's platform? How do I spin what I need to in order to make it work for them so that this audience is going to be served and have value? As long as you keep the audience in mind that you're serving them value, I promise you, your story matters. You have no idea who needs to hear it. So if I may, George, can I tell one story about why I know this to be true? By all means. I had the privilege to speak at a wonderful event about four years ago. It was called Life by Design. Mm -hmm. And me and and a good friend of mine, Jared, were invited to speak there. And Jared has Mm -hmm. had uh, his his mental health struggles and uh, struggled with addiction for a while. And there was a period in his life when his children were very young. And he'd actually divorced from his wife and he was no longer allowed to be around his children unsupervised where he felt Mm. strongly that the best solution for his children to have a good life would be to have a life where he didn't exist in it at all. And there was one day and he tells the story far better where by 
random workings of the universe. His ex-wife somehow needed a break and he had managed to fake sobriety long enough for her to trust him with the kids for one night, just one night. She just needed a break, just take the kids for the one night. Mm -hmm. And he managed to hold it together to get them to bed. And then he went to bed, but his, his custom, his cycle was every night he would try to find the right combination of drugs and alcohol that would make his death look like an accidental overdose. He was oh doing it purposely, but he yeah. needed it to look like an accident so that his life insurance paid out. Oh man. And that was his quest. That was his goal. That was like a three year driving internal clock for him. So he puts the kids to bed. He goes to bed himself. He wakes up, starts getting into his normal nightly routine of let's get the alcohol. Let's get the pills going. Mm -hmm. And then realizes that something is off and he starts to realize that the kids are actually in the room and the, the kids shouldn't be there. Is he hallucinating? Oh, something's got to be off. So maybe I'll take more drugs and then they will just magically disappear, but they don't disappear. And so he needs more alcohol and he gets it right. He gets the combination right. And just when he's starting to fade, just when he's starting to see the white light, his son comes and goes, dad, is everything okay? And in that instant, he's he's having this out-of-body experience floating above in his living room, seeing it all happen. And he goes, this needs to stop. You need to stop. Stop. And he just manages to to just mumble out 911. So his, phone son's, his son phones 911. Ambulance gets there. He's clinically dead at that point. His heart is stopped. He's minimal brain activity. They rush him to the hospital, pump his stomach, manage to revive him shock him, get his heart going, and he survives. Survives with no damage. Wow. Other than a, a real yeah. traumatic scarring event for both him and his kids. Yeah. Real devastation with his wife, ex-wife at that point. Like, how the how could you do this? Real soul searching yeah. has to get sober at that point. But that becomes, that's his lightning moment. Then now at that point, he's dedicated. He knew what was about to happen. And everything in him told him he was wrong, that 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 couldn't happen. He couldn't die. His kids were not better off that way. And that was his realization. So he was telling, he tells this incredible talk. It's called the 10 minute time machine. And he was presenting this where he discusses this very openly, very candidly and with humor. That's the other yeah. thing about Jared. He finds the humor mm -hmm. in like you laugh, you're crying. You are devastated in points of his talk, but you also laugh through his talk. He has this beautiful delivery. And he gives this presentation and we don't think anything of it. Me and him have been talking on stages together for years. Like we were, we grew up in theater together. We've been, you know, friends for uh, 25 years. And so we go away next year. I'm invited back to host this event. The, the event never has the same speakers twice, but they really, the organizer really, really liked me and asked if I would be the host. Yeah. And so I, I got to introduce everybody. And one of the speakers who, by the way, is currently the number two ranked guest on Podmatch, Charlene Madden, came up and spoke. And she said, I shouldn't be here today. A year ago today, I was sitting where you are sitting. And I had been gifted this ticket by a friend of mine. And I decided to go to be polite because it was the last thing I was going to do before I took my life. She said, I had my firearm polished and picked out. I had the spot in the woods. 
picked out that I was going to go to, but I heard this girl stand up last year, Vanessa, and she talked about her struggles with addiction and body shame and life and how she spent most of her teens angry and bitter and sad trying to kill herself. And then the last speaker, Jared, got up and told his story. And when he told his story, it rattled me to the core. And I knew in that instant that I couldn't go through with the plan that I had for the next day, that I needed to instead go through with a new plan. And that was to reach out and get help. Mm -hmm. And so she told this story of the struggle that she had coming to terms with the mental health struggles that she was having, coming to terms with the suicidal thoughts, reaching out for help, which was the most difficult thing that she could do. But then she said, look at what's happened. I, I, I've, I've made it a year. Yeah. I've made it a year. And these are all the things that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't reached out for help. So as, as hard as it was initially, my life is so much better. It's so much easier now because I reached out. She told yeah. that story. Three people in that audience came to her and said, we're going through the same thing. The one had almost the same plan. Wow. She was going to go and kill herself that night. And she said, I need help. How did you get help to help me? I want, I need help. Yeah. Now, Jared has a hard time telling his story because he's an insurance salesman. He sells life insurance. So it's a scary thing for him to come out and say that he struggled with mental health, that he had plans to kill himself, but he did it anyway. He had an audience of one. Only one person needed to hear that message that day. And that was Charlene. Charlene told her story. Three people needed to hear that. They got the help that they needed. The ripple effect Mm -hmm. is massive. And you don't know until you tell your story. So when I say everyone has a story to hear, everyone has a story to say, and you don't know who your audience is until you start speaking it. Because somebody needs to hear your message, and it may only be one person, but that one person, you could literally change a life. So my advice to everybody who's listening to Excelsior Journeys and who are regularly tuning into your show, George, if you feel there's a thing that you need to do, do it. If there's a thing that you're afraid to say, say it. Those tough conversations are where we change our lives and where we, in some cases, save them. Wow. Brother. Oh my God, man. Like you, you shaken me. Like definitely like that is, Oh man. Yeah. We're going to be talking more about this. Now where can, cause I, I mean, if, if my listeners aren't made of stone or if they're not like if, or if they're somehow like deterred or anything by my dog barking in the background, where can they find you on social media? Well, I mean, I'm on all the socials. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Now, it depends on which which platform they are, but they can look me up by my full professional name because as an actor, my stage name, my full name, my legal name, the name my mother gave me is Sean Tyler Foley. So that's why we're at, at Sean Tyler Foley. And that's also my website. So mm-hmm. anybody who wants to, at SeanTylerFoley.com, just SeanTylerFoley.com. You can go there and you'll get all of all of my information. And the Sean Tyler Foley is spelled with the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N, mm-hmm. S-E-A-N, 
T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. So anybody who is interested in learning more about what I'm doing, including both my Endless Stages Facebook group, which is free, or if they would like to get in on the 100 Podcasts in 100 Days Challenge, the Podcast Mastery Challenge, as we're calling it, that's where yeah. you're going to find information on that. Uh, I would love, love, love for anybody who who feels that they have a message and is just struggling with how to get it out. Uh, our independent mm-hmm. authors, our coaches, our coaches, consultants, any, anybody of that nature who... Our podcasters. <laughs> our podcasters who are looking for, yeah. for an audience. This is mm-hmm. a great way to expand your reach and expand your influence and ex- expand your authority. And a fairly decent price. Like, yeah, I'm downloading 35 years of experience and a year on top. I was I've the number one ranked guest on Podmatch in the last 12 months. And I've been the number one guest on their top 10 monthly ranking four times out of the last year, two time, number two for the last five times. And I am their number one rank, number one ranked guest. So I know what I'm talking about. I know how to use Podmatch. Yeah. I've got Alex come in and do it. So if anybody has uh, a message that they want to get out, that would be a great way to, to get it. They could always come when, once we get the Vegas date solidified after next week, that'll be posted mm-hmm. on the website as well. So anybody can do that. But if they're going to flip over to my website, George, I would ask them to do me a favor first. Yeah. Because before they get off of your platform, they're already mm-hmm. on your platform. So if they're listening to Excelsior Journeys, if yes. they regularly are tuning into you, George, and they're regularly listening to your content, if they're getting value out of that, I know that it's a hard job putting this stuff together. Mm-hmm. And the work that goes into it as a host is... is incredibly difficult and you're doing it out of love yes so if you're gonna love your audience your audience should love you back so if they're listening to this right now i would ask that they put press pause on whatever device whatever platform they're listening to this press pause and give you a five-star review and if they could be a little bit detailed with that don't just give the five stars what was your favorite episode what was something you found impactful what's something george has said that has really stuck with you have you read excelsior journey (laughs) what Right. Like, let's let's have that conversation. Let George know what content is landing so that he can bring on better people to mm-hmm. to serve you. So it only does you it you're only doing yourself a favor by giving George a five-star review. So mm-hmm. if you if you are getting value out of this, if Excelsior Journeys is something you're listening to regularly, if you're downloading these episodes and you're listening to them, please take a moment, hit pause on this, give it a five-star review, tell George why you're giving that five-star review, and not just because Tyler told you to. And <laughs> And if you do me that favor, then please do pop over to SeanTylerFoley.com, have a listen and, and take a, take a peek around. If there's any way that I can be of service from you, like I said, there's a lot of freebies that we offer, including the free Facebook group. And I go live every Tuesday for 20 minutes at one o'clock mountain time, noon Pacific, three Eastern. And I get, I just, whatever is the popular topic that day this week we're going to be talking about how to get media exposure and not on podcasts like traditional media mm-hmm. how to get on radio how to get on tv how do you format it so that the producers are actually going to look at your pitch and not shuffle you to the side so that you can be on that morning talk show we, mm-hmm. my business partner michael is a media master and he's going to dive deep into it so we oh, do nice. all kinds of things like that so by all means if anybody's interested pop on over and it'll be my joy to have you over there Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm definitely going to be over there. And for the record, I did not pay Tyler to say any of that, like that but that was um, just absolutely so, so appreciated. That's, I mean, that's something that back in 2016, when we lost Carrie Fisher at, at the end of the year, 
that really shook me because back at the end of 2009, beginning of 2010, my wife and I got to see Wishful Drinking on Broadway. Mm, and yes. it was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal moment. And I knew, I was just like, we have to go over to the stage door. I got, you know, like I, I got to have her sign, at least to, to sign the playbills. And so I go over there and everything. I get to talk to her for just like a brief moment. And I got to ask her a Star Wars related question regarding the commentary tracks that she did for the DVDs and how it was kind of revisiting that and everything. And she had some, you know, really pleasant things to say. And she was very nice, very nice. The whole, the whole thing. The one thing that I did not say was, by the way, you're the first person associated with Star Wars. I wanted to thank you. It's been with me all my life. It's it's been a part of what made me who I am today. And I just wanted to say thank you. I didn't do that. And now I'll never get that chance. So after that happened, I basically like took to social media and just said, if someone is affecting you in a positive way, in a creative way, in a motivating way, in an inspiring way, let them know this because they're, they, they're not going to be here forever. And so that was something that I really pushed. And I reached out to a lot of different people online and just said, like, just wanted to thank them. I thanked Rob Paulson for inspiring me to get into voice acting. I thanked Kevin Smith for inspiring me to get me into podcasting. I thanked so many different people just reached out to them on Twitter or even wrote a couple and just, mm -hmm. and just sent cards out. You never know when these creatives need to hear this the most. And I really do appreciate that. So thank you. And I hope that all of you that have been listening, just like what Tyler said, if you have a story to tell, there is something inside you that needs to be shared with the world, then share it, get it out there, whatever stage you can find, whatever platform you can find, get your story out there because there is always going to be at least one person who needs to hear it right then and there. And maybe that one person will inspire a couple other people to hear it. So please keep those stories going because your stories are going to be what changed the world. So for Tyler Foley, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com. <laughs>